As a reminder, at your best judgment, if you don't think you can make it this evening, don't. It may be canceled, depending on the weather. The session will decide. Uh, it's not just the snow, it's the ice under the snow that was accumulating last night. <clears throat> so keep an eye out on your emails uh, and or phone calls. I don't remember how we did it last time, but we'll get a hold of you one way or the other. If you don't hear anything, assume it's, it's, it's a go. And again, you don't have to make it if you believe in good conscience. It's too dangerous. We have the call to worship. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. By our hearts and heads, a sound of preparation for worship. stand and sing Psalm 1A. you, God above, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to be with us in a special manner as you promised in your word, to give us grace and more grace and abundance, God. We're grateful, Lord, for the safe travels we have here today, God, and we ask for continued mercies and growth and sanctification through the means of grace, and that we would put our hearts upon you, Lord, and sing praises with joyfulness in our soul. 
We ask these things, Lord, as you taught us, in accordance to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, it is now and ever shall be. You may be seated. We have the reading of Psalm 37 inside the bulletin, a separate sheet. Psalm 37, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait in the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. So clearly he is seeing the rank wickedness of the workers of iniquity that surround him that are getting away with, could be murder, we see it today in America, uh, slander and destroying uh, livelihoods, we've seen it in America, and it's easy to fret and to worry that this is the end, this is the end of me, what can I do, and freeze, and the things that you are doing, part of fretting is you're not, you're freezing as it were in your soul. But rather we should delight in God and put our trust in Him and know that He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. That is, there will be a vindication of the truth. The lies about us, the murdering of Christians perhaps, whatever the case is, will be vindicated. And they will be punished if they do not repent. This is part of the confidence and reason why we should not fret. Because God is in control and he will take care of everything that needs to be taken care of. In its time. Let us pray. We as your people, God Almighty, do trust in you. And at times we are weak and misty and fragile and ignorant, as we read somewhat in the Sermon of Bullinger in Sunday school class. Help us, Lord, to overcome that, to read this psalm 
to grow in confidence in it, Lord, that you are indeed in charge and that you will bring forth pure justice when it is time. And so, God, we think of ourselves first insofar as we have sins, that we need to apologize, repent of God before you. We, Lord, have unjust anger, perhaps. We are maybe too quick to speak. We have uncontrollable passions, Lord, when we should be, have more self-control with the fruit of the Spirit. Whatever our sin is, God Almighty, we pray that we would acknowledge it, and we would repent of it, Lord, and flee from it, help us to overcome the grow in sanctification and holiness. Our Lord and Savior, even as we thank you and praise you for your patience towards us in spite of our sins, for your love in Christ Jesus, bestowed and shed abroad upon our hearts. We ask God, in particular, Lord, for our work situation, for our, our life situation, God, for being stewards of, the, of everything that we have, which is not ours, but ultimately yours. They are given to us as your gift. We are to be good servants in your household, Lord, to take care of the clothing on our back, to take care of the food uh, that we consume, Lord, and the house that we live in. These things are yours, given to us to be used for your glory, to be used for one another, especially in a proper order, Lord, as we take care of our family and our friends and our church. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be wise as stewards, as those called to position of responsibility in your kingdom, to be wise, Lord, with the abilities you've given us, with the responsibilities you've given us, as we will see in the sermon today. On submission, God, we have a responsibility to submit in the proper places and to the proper people as we are called in our life, God, and to do it as unto you. <clears throat> so we ask that your spirit would give, be given to us in a double measure, Lord, to be good stewards, to be humble stewards, Lord, to be thankful stewards. Help us on our job situation for those who need better employment, better work environment, wisdom, better skill sets, perhaps, Lord, for their job, and, Lord, good income, especially as we see rising prices again, and it seems, Lord, uh, more reasons again to raise even more prices with the given, given difficulties across the world. And, and, Lord, with such a weak economy upon us, Lord, it harms especially the poor, poor Christians, Lord, that our hearts go out towards, that you would be with them, help them with better employment, Help them, Lord, with better income, whatever it needs to, for their situation that they need, God, to help them to take care of their family, Lord, to put food on the table, to have a, a safe place to live, whatever else, God. So we pray for them, those in our midst, God, and those in our presbytery, and those in our denomination, Lord, and Christians across the city, in particular, God, that are poor and are struggling, God. May we not forget them. Maybe we're thankful, Lord, that we are able to help them, and we certainly do in our church, and thankful, God, for the ties that are given with a desire, Lord, for your kingdom to grow and to help those in material need in our church. May they continue to be used wisely, God, that as stewards, not only individually but collectively as a church, that we would be wise with the monies you've given us and the resources and the time. Again, God, to be used for your good, for your glory, for each other. We ask, God, for protection of our body, for our health, Lord. Uh, we think of uh, Elder Martin, God, as he needs to stay healthy for his surgery coming up on the 16th. That would go well and quickly, God. We pray that you protect him and watch over them, Lord, and guide the hands of the surgeon. We ask, Lord, for the rest of us who have ailments, chronic ailments, Lord, we don't speak much about, that you'd be with us and help us, Lord, to persevere, perhaps get the help that we need and the wisdom and resources, Lord. And at the end of the day, above all, perseverance of our spirit, God, if there's very little that we can do which sometimes is the case. 
to know that you are in charge and to long for the day of the resurrection of a new body and a new heaven and a new earth. We thank you, God, for continuing to protect us and our health, especially this time of season. And we ask, Lord, also for traveling mercies as we will gather together and go home and maybe come back this evening, God, that we would be protected and preserved as you preserved my family with an accident that was behind us on the highway, Lord. It could have been in front of us. Our God and Savior, we're thankful for your special providence that continues to protect us day in and day out, Lord. As we're reminded again, the most dangerous places seem to be within a 10-mile radius of our home, God. May we be watchful and always dependent upon you. And we ask God for continued <clears throat> peace in this nation and peace in the war over in Europe, Lord, that would be resolved quickly, God, and that the warmongering and the bloodlust that we see uh, here and across this nation, uh, Lord, Whatever justification given, God, would be shut down, Lord, that we would maintain peace and protection for ourselves and for our children and for our own military. We ask, God, that we would continue to persevere as a church and that we would continue to love you and follow you all the days of our lives. We pray these things for your glorious name's sake. Amen. We now have the tithes and offerings. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. We indeed do praise you, God, not only today, but throughout the week as we are able, Lord, as we have time to focus upon you. And thankful, God, for the prosperity that we have in spite of a weakening economy, God, and raising uh, rising prices of many important things in our life, that we are able to give these tithes and offerings for the good of your people and for the glory of your name. Bless them, we pray, in your name alone. Amen. While we are standing, let's go ahead and sing Psalm 127a, 127a.
commandments, which is a summary of God's will for us, his law, into the green sheet inside the hymnal. Let us read the Ten Commandments together. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Hear also the words of our Lord Jesus, how he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Let us turn to our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. I thought it appropriate the day and age in which we find ourselves. Although it can be mixed to some extent, I, I, can, I agree. Uh, to spend a little more time on verse 5b, all of you be submissive to one another and what that looks like in the particulars of life and our relationships to one another. Let us listen attentively to the Word of God. 1 Peter 5, 5b. All of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Let us pray. With these words, God Almighty, you give a general admonition that has much particular application in the various and sundry ways and relationships that we find ourselves in, God, especially in the day and age in which we wish to, at our convenience as a society, and our leaders 
propagate this idea, to not submit, to rebel, and to make excuses and do our own thing, especially against your holy law. Help us, God, to be an example to the world of what it means to be a Christian in submission, a proper submission, God, in accordance to your word. In your name alone we pray. Amen. As, as we know and you've heard already, the spirit of the age teaches us that we're all equal in some abstract way, such that all duty to submit to our superiors can be ignored at will. It's not done that way, as you know, in practice, because in real life we live in God's universe and you must have authority. You must have rule. People must follow rules, and they do. But as we saw a couple of years ago, people break them. And they break them when they want, and they break them often, unfortunately, even to the burning of cities. Movies assume it, advertisements appeal to this mindset. And since submission is part and parcel of the natural order before the fall, so it's not a sin thing. It's not like we only submit because of sin. Remember, God made Adam first, and that's part of Paul's argument in Timothy. That was before the fall. To undercut the call of submission is to bring havoc upon ourselves and our society, and we are living in the midst of such havoc. Of course, in response to that, you end up with more tyranny. It's the traditional understanding of what happens when every man does what is right in his own eyes. In this case, in the name of equality and rebellion. This makes... Uh, makes it doubly important for Christians to follow the example of Peter and urge one another towards godly submission. I have to emphasize that part, godly, of course. As you know, I preached through Romans uh, 13. I did a Sunday school class series on the submission and the rights and the limits of submission, for there are limits of submission. As the apostles say very explicitly, we ought to obey God rather than man. I'm not going to talk about those situations, although they do obviously exist. But what is the status quo? What is the the given, the the, the default condition that Christians have? As we know, intuitively in our hearts, a call of submission, all of us, young and old alike, male and female. So let's look more carefully into the call of submission from the perspective of families, both couples and those with children in particular. We'll talk about singles next week under another rubric. The first point is children submit to your parents. Children submit to your parents. This is as our forefathers and not just our forefathers that all nations understood to be the ground basis and the school of society. You cannot have a society if children are taught rebellion and are not disciplined because they will grow up and be children of rebellion and break down society. We're seeing some of that again in real time in our own lifetime. Ephesians 6.1 is the classic passage. One of the classic passages here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. You don't have to have children to know this passage is important. You don't have to have children to realize that you have an influence upon those who do have children. And to the extent that you have an influence, you ought to be reminded again of the call of children to submit to their parents. And you are there to help reinforce the parental authority, help guide and direct the child, if that is where you are in your relationship with that family, towards that goal. Now, of course, parents have a duty. It's reciprocal. We all know this. I'm not going to highlight again this point. It's, it's clearly here. Parents have a duty. You fathers, it says in the next verse, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. 
That's true. But provocation from parents, or fathers in particular, is no excuse for children not to obey. Again, that's what happens in our society, in my experience, is people turn around and say, well, look, my, my boss, my parents, my husband or whatever, he's a sinner and he's done X, Y, Z, so therefore I do not have to submit. No. It doesn't follow at all. Now, if they tell you to sin, you don't have to submit. That's true. They tell you to rebel against God and go against what is clearly in the word of God or against the light of nature, against your own protection of your soul, for example, and heresies, you don't have to submit. That's true. But that they sin or inconsistent or bring wrath upon children and they get angry because they're provoking them unto wrath because children are not adults. And yes, Paul is using a stereotype. Not all stereotypes are wrong. Just means in general, fathers have a harder time with children and they have a tendency to perhaps provoke them. I can see that in my own experience. Do not provoke them, but even the provoking is no excuse for the child to disobey. The focus, of course, in the sermon is submission, as it is with Peter here. He spends a prior chapter talking about submission from another perspective, although he didn't emphasize that word as much. It's a natural instinct for children to obey and submit to their parents. Yes, we say and believe that all mankind is born in sin, as an inclination towards sin, but having an inclination towards sin and being born in sin, being sinners in the womb and from there on out, doesn't mean that they have no understanding of right and wrong. It doesn't mean they don't have an instinct towards their parents to be with their parents, to be protected by their parents, and to follow their parents' lead. They do it instinctively, although they do it inconsistently. They may go from one extreme by rebelling at times, because even rebellious kids don't rebel every single time. They have, as it were, streaks of obedience, to flip the imagery there. So let's not forget that. There is this thing called natural instinct that is God has implanted the law in our hearts, and sinners know this, and follow it to one extent or another. But it is being undermined actively around us, and children are taught to do their own thing. Schools, in fact, are encouraging the children to disobey this commandment by not telling their parents what's going on in the school, what they're being taught in the school. That's happening right now, unfortunately. Even Christian schools do that. Unfortunately, neighbors think this way, neighborhoods think this way, shows and books, all, it seems, more and more use the rebellious child as the protagonist, as the hero of the story. All of us are called, therefore, to fight this bad influence on our children, on the youth, on ourselves. I'll talk a little bit about being adult children, because... We have parents, we're still children, towards our parents. We need to learn what proper submission entails or relearn it, probably a better way of saying it, to encourage one another and help one another in this matter. We're all called to help one another to the extent that we can to do our duties before God. We don't live in islands. Matthew Henry gives a nice summary here. I ran across this providentially. I follow Matthew Henry quotes on Twitter. Apprehension of danger should stir us up to our duty. And there's much danger today against the doctrine of submission. And therefore, we should stir ourselves up to the duty. That is the call I am giving us today. Submission as a child in particular, it is again, as I said before, natural. Um, uh, Of course, some kids require a more firm hand than others in some regards. That's true. Every kid's a little different. It takes wisdom and advice from your parents, from those you see who have uh, been successful by God's grace uh, in raising their kids. 
And of course, parents should help their kids learn submission. So there's that responsibility. Yes, the parents lead and tell the kids what to do. At the same time, the parents have a responsibility to help the kids learn submission, to make it an easy burden upon them. That's through discipline, of course, the best kind of discipline, as we know, love and consistency. It should be very hard to be consistent with children, especially when they're younger. And to remind ourselves as those in authority over the kids, and again, this is not just parents. Uh, You who are grandparents, you who are friends of the family with children, you have influence upon the kids, and uh, you you should hear some of this as well and be reminded to uh, to think differently. If you've never had kids, remember kids are not adults. They're still developing and learning, and thus you adjust your expectation level with them and don't provoke them as the um, fathers are warned. Children are supposed to submit as well to not just parents, but to grandparents. The commandment, the fifth commandment, is not reducible only to biological parents. It's anybody in authority because the basis of society is biological. We're all humans. You married, and that you brought two families together. A bunch of families come together to make a society. They all intermarry, and that's typically the history of most, uh, virtually all cultures, um, historically. And so, grandparents are part of this commandment. They are related to the family, obviously, and occur. And unfortunately, it's a growing phenomenon in America. I read a very sad story a couple years ago. I couldn't find it. I have. Too much stuff I've been collecting and trying to organize, just too much information out there, too much sad information for the history books, in which in rural America, more and more grandchildren are being raised by their parent, grandparents. I live at home with them. Very sad. They, too, are called to submit to their grandparents, who are, in that case, in loco parentis, as they say in the law schools, in place of the parents. Now, when they have parents, and the grandparents live nearby, they should, again, listen to the grandparents to the extent, of course, that the grandparents are not undermining the parental authority. We all know the stereotype, again, often true, of grandparents spoiling those grandchildren. The parents allow it to some extent, that's fine, but you're there to help reinforce the parental authority, not undermine it. And the children must listen to the grandparents unless the grandparents tell them, again, wickedness or sin, or undermine what the parents already told them. Usually when they're younger, kids don't know any difference. Just listen to your grandparents. Uh, but as they get older, you might have certain restrictions. You know, mom's told you you can't watch those shows. And I told grandma that. She may have forgotten, so don't do it. <clears throat> and, of course, children shouldn't pit grandparents and parents against each other. Submission as an adult specifically when under the roof. This is also a growing phenomenon in America where the younger generation, because the economy is so um, weak, uh, income, as you recall, I covered this in Sunday school class and mentioned a few sermons going through MICA on public justice, uh, where our income is not caught up with inflation since I was born. You think it has because a lot of you are older and you've got enough wealth from your family. You had good jobs early on. More and more jobs are not like that anymore. Making 50000 is not enough. It doesn't cut it in Denver. You need to make over 100000 to have a house. That's insane, but that's where we are. And so more and more of the younger generation, not always because they're lazy, but the economy is that bad and has been for a long time, have to live with their parents. 
the 2021, 20, 24, to save up money or move, as we found on our church the last couple of years. People are moving. It's just so expensive for the young people to live here or anywhere else. It's, it's, it's growing, unfortunately. <clears throat> so you live with your parents, you got to follow the rules. I'm sorry. <laughs> you got to submit. It's hard, but prayerfully, the parents are also uh, mature enough to realize they give you more freedom. They obviously don't treat you like a child, but there's still going to be restrictions. You have to understand, your parents are older now. They go to bed earlier. They, 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 they get disturbed if you come in at 11 o'clock at night, perhaps. So you're going to have to have a give and take in that relationship. It is hard, but at the end of the day, it is better that you give and submit to some of what you wish you didn't have to in such a difficult situation. But if you're called to that, you must do it. But being a grown-up child, an adult child, is not an excuse, again, to disobey. Prayerfully, parents, again, will give you uh, freedom there in that situation as you live at home with your parents. And uh, on the flip side, you realize your parents are indeed older. Now, to show honor and respect is also an expression of submission. To show honor and respect to your parents, to listen to them, again, as adults, although you don't have to obey them as such. They they don't tell you what to do with your funds. They can give you advice. You don't have to follow that. But on the flip side, when it comes to uh, wishes for their welfare, they may have a, and I would obviously encourage it, um, a will of some sort, a trust, whatever else you need, and you have to execute it. And they may ask your advice, but your parents don't have to follow it, and you will submit to your parents by following the wishes of their will. That's another way of doing it. Although you're an adult, you don't even live with them anymore. So that also follows under the commandment of submission to your parents, although you're living on your own. Medical decisions are part of that process as well. Again, uh, the parents should be wise in their old age, preferably before their old age, have a will, and listen to their kids if they have good advice to give in that regard. The second point, wives submit to your husbands. Again, a doctrine attacked greatly in the last generation or two. Uh, in America, it's somehow beneath people to submit, uh, beneath women somehow, uh, and it is certainly not. It is a glorious thing, in fact, to follow and obey God, as he tells us. The word submission, I didn't mention this before, but I'll mention it here, uh, is used elsewhere in the Bible in many sundry contexts. One, with respect to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ himself, children, submitted to his parents, Luke 2.51. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. That's the translation of the word submission. Subject to his parents, but his mother kept all these things to her heart. And if Jesus can do it, we can do it. Not only as children, but as adults, as women, and as husbands, as I'll talk about a little later, uh, men are called to submit as well. In 1 Corinthians 16, 16, we read that you should submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. Uh, There the word is used with respect to the church and the functions of the church. The word submission or subjugation to is not a dirty word, but used often in the Bible. Paul writes to Titus, Pastor Titus, in chapter 2, verse 5. To be discreet to, to the women, that he writes to the women to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed, because God, because the world is watching us, and God has called you to that task. Now, of course, submission looks different in different relational contexts, right? A wife is not a slave. You don't treat her like a slave. She's not a household servant. We don't have slaves anymore. Household servant. 
although some would argue there are ways slavery is going on. A wife is not a child, nor should, be she, she, nor should she be treated like a child. And a wife, of course, is not some random citizen down the street, and you just treat her like a chum, not your buddy at the poker party or something. Marriage is the context of the submission of the wives, because marriage is a freely entered con- a contract or covenant between two adults who presumably are learning and want to learn more about one another and bind themselves together for life by a commitment of love. A love expressed, of course, differently by our relationships. Children come forth from that union and do not show love to their parents the same way they would show love to each other as children. They don't submit to one another as children, but they're equals. They show their love to their parents differently. And parents do not show love to children by letting them run the household, and act like adults. So the relationships are different, although it's the same covenant. And so in marriage, the expression of love is different. Men show love by leading and by consideration and, uh, of their wives as the weaker vessel. Women show love by obedience and affection. It's all love, but the expression they're in is different. That's where the liberals get it wrong. They like to run around saying, everything's about love, it's just love, and throw everything down. It's different. And of course, they believe that as soon as you know, their favorite president says, X, Y, Z, I love my president, I better obey him. Oh, okay. But he doesn't have to obey you. Well, of course not. So there are relationship differences. Submission and practice, of course. Um, the submission of the wife to the husband is paralleled explicitly in Ephesians 5.24 to Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their husbands and everything. In other words, it's not a submission of when you feel like submitting, which is an implicit lie being taught in conservative circles at times. If the woman wants to, she can submit, they say, more or less. Morally speaking, it's not relevant what she wants. She's got to do it. Now, the submission, of course, to the husband should be made sweet with love. Assumed in the marriages, although not explicated in the text here in 1 Peter 2, I think it was earlier, and Paul elsewhere. If you love somebody, you put up with a lot, don't you? Isn't that an interesting way of looking at it? Mature love is not Pollyannish, it's not sentimental. It's wide-eyed and says, I know what I'm getting into. That's part of growing up in a marriage. You realize, oh, yeah, he's a sinner. Oh, yeah, she's a sinner. But you love them anyway, and you put up with a lot. To love a husband should include the desire to follow his lead, and although that can be hard at times because husbands can indeed and do indeed sin and are even jerks at times, does not change the call of submission. Love will overcome and persevere. Submission, we can say, is the crown of the woman. The world thinks it's a crown of thorns, but God tells us a crown of glory. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The third point, family submit to your leaders. Here we get to the husbands in particular. Family submit to your leaders, not just children, not just wives, but families and even husbands in particular. First and foremost, because the husband is the head of the household, he's in charge, as it were. Uh, he makes and makes a number of important decisions in life, many decisions in life, and he must also lead by example. 
the number of families I have met as a church officer over the years, because it's going on decades now, isn't it, who don't want to submit to the church of Jesus Christ are more than I can count. And it's unfortunate. It's too many of them. But praise be to God, there are even many more who do submit, who do lead by example, who will find a godly church, make the vows, and say, yes, I will show my family what it is to submit. They have to lead by example. When you submit to those who are over us, who work for the good, our good, as Hebrews tells us, the session or the elders are there for the good of your soul. And the children see that. And the wife sees that. And the world sees that. It means, of course, in practice, attending church faithfully, praying and not bad-mouthing the church. <clears throat> Again, you lead by example. People see this. Your family sees it. This is the call of a husband. Yes, you are a leader in the family, but you're also leading by example of submission to the church. And not just the church, of course. I say to your leaders, to your boss, to the magistrate, the civil magistrate in society. Wherever you are, to the HOA. You see, dad goes out there. He fixes the fence when he's supposed to fix the fence because he made a covenant when he bought this house. It's called an HOA He's going to follow the rules, and the children see dad follows the rules. But the children see dad just always looking for loopholes and making excuses. They're going to say, I guess that's the way to live life. The example of men are very powerful. This is one of the problems with broken households without husbands. Both parents, of course, are examples, not just the husband. Examples of submission to the magistrate, to the speed limit signs. The children watch both of us <clears throat> to see if we badmouth, for example. By badmouth, I don't mean ever. Ne- you can never say anything bad, uh, negative. You can say things negative, especially if you have leaders who are promoting murder. The kids need to see that's a leader. He's promoting murder. Avoid that man. That's not badmouthing. That's telling the truth and warning the kids. You know what I mean by badmouthing. There's a time and place for everything. It's important what we say, not just what we do as well. The kids and the wives, or in the case, the children and our neighbors, see both parents and what they say or don't say, as the case may be. And to reinforce authority and not undermine authority by our example as parents. Family submission, then, is important in society. Submission to the laws of the land, both locally and nationally. Again, to the extent that they are not blatant violations of God's law, they are not laws that encourage us to sin, we are not supposed to follow those. Again, the children will see that. They will see that we, as parents, have discretion and know right from wrong and lead and say we will not follow that law because that law is telling us to sin. It says we can't go to church on Sunday or something like that. We're not going to do that. We're going to do what we can to go to church under reasonable conditions. They can't outlaw us. The children will see that and grow up and learn, oh, I follow the rules, yes, but there are times in which the rules are wrong and I have to follow God. I always must follow God. We saw, unfortunately, on the flip side, what happens when you're told, always follow the rules of society. Always. Then you get cops defending rotten rules. Of course, not just... And the, the picture of submission in the Bible is not just 
passive, that is by omission, for lack of a better word, not complaining, for example, but also actively by seeking out a way of being a useful member of the church by proper praise at the proper time and society or something along those lines. So the children see you not just not doing something, but you are doing something positive to reinforce when there is godly authority, when there is godly magistrates that could use your support verbally, perhaps, or if you do go into politics or um, local caucusing, for example, is a good example. And kids see that, that you are committed not just to avoiding the appearance of evil, but promoting good actively in society. And this shows uh, to the world and to your kids, especially, again, to one another, a reinforcement of the importance of submission, of speaking well and good to our leaders to the extent that they, of course, deserve that, and avoiding bad-mouthing them and the like. This is true, in fact, for every member of the family. And the call here by Peter, yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Obviously, he's not saying you just randomly follow each other's rules, but it's in good and proper order according to the natural order of things, which is in the family Parents submit to, uh, to children submit to parents, wives submit to husbands, parents and children, the families in general submit to the rulers over them in the church and in society. That's what it's referring to. And it's an important doctrine. Dear family, husband, wife, father, mother, child, young and old alike. Humble yourself before God by submitting yourselves to your caring parents, your loving husband, and the rulers of society and the church. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus, and may he bless you in abundance. Let us pray. With these words, God, we thank you for the reminder again in a day and age in which we have more and more moral anarchy and excuses not to submit and obey, that we would be examples, Lord, of proper submission in accordance to your word. Help us, Lord, to persevere therein and not be discouraged, but to know that you are with us and blessing us. In your name alone we pray. Amen. Let us stand and let us sing hymn 243, 243.
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen.